This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 109th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is a former Husky basketball player and current Husky football commentator and Seattle Storm commentator, Elise Woodward. I'm going to get back to you in a minute, Elise, and give you a little bit of a further introduction. But my Sports Untold podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, and you can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com to take a look at it. All right, now I'm going to get back to you, Elise. Elise Woodward grew up in Oregon, and as mentioned, she played basketball at the University of Washington. She is a, I believe, a broadcaster also with the Pac-12 Network and the Learfield Radio Network. Um, Elise worked for many years as a sports show host at KJR in Seattle, and Elise was one of the few women sports radio hosts in a top 15 market for many years. So she is a pioneer in a lot of ways and been a significant figure in the Seattle sports community for many years. Also a wife and mother, and I believe you have a son who's going to be playing Husky baseball uh, next year, right, Elise? I do, yep. He's signed his letter of intent, so uh, there you go. He got into school. Those <laughs> Woodward jeans, pretty pretty, pretty neat. That His parents are two former Husky athletes. Your husband, Troy, was a Husky baseball player for the listeners, so it, so it's uh, there's a little athletic dynasty there. Well, I want to. we're going to get going in a minute, and I just want to share some with you, Elise. I shared this with your former broadcast colleague, Ian Furness, when he was on last year. So back, and this show's mostly about my guests and topics, but let me just talk, let me slip and talk myself for a minute. And so back in the 07, 08 days, I got involved as a fan with Sabre Sonics. And um, so I was getting calls by some local media networks to comment on some of the legalities, the sports relocation, Sonics relocation battle we know about so well. And you and, and Ian Furness in particular invited me on to come on your show quite a bit. And I never really had had that experience before doing those types of interviews. So then fast forward many years later, Tony Benton, who was formerly at, at your old station, KJR, uh, started Rainier Avenue Radio. And he approached me in about 2016 to host a show at Rainier Avenue Radio. And I was like, really? Okay, me? I was kind of like, okay, I, it's exciting. I'll give us a try. But I want to share, least that I don't think this whole thing would have ever started if you did not play a role in inviting me on your show many years ago. So, oh. so whether whether you like it or not, for all your accomplishments, you do have a role in the Sports Untold podcast development, for better or worse. So I wanted to share that with you. Yes. I Well, that's awesome. It, it is actually really cool. It's um, Don't tell anybody, but it's really not that hard to do, right? <laughs> what we do is not that hard. So, uh, you know, it's uh, kidding aside, though. That's awesome. It's yeah. uh I mean, it's a fun, it's just, I, I love what I do. So it's fun that you're into it now too. Well, and again, you and Ian in particular were, were kind of, were catalysts and kind of in, in, in playing a role to give me this experience. So I don't think I would have well, been doing this. So, you know. I, I look back on that and I remember all that, like being like, okay, Paul's on it. Just give me a ray of hope with the Sonics. Just give me a ray of hope that they're not going to leave us. And uh, randomly enough, I just rewatched um, Sonics Gate last week. I don't know why I did it. I just, once in a while I'll watch it and it just tortures me. And I, I just randomly watched it last week and, you know, it just tears off the scab and makes me so angry all over again. So I remember those days when you coming on the show and just being like, man, like, how do we make sure they don't leave Seattle? And, you know, well, just... I always thought enforcing the lease through 2010 was an avenue yes. to try to keep the team here, but it didn't happen that way. But that was, uh, I know. had its issues. Hey, speaking of that, at least I'm going to fast forward for a second. Um, 
we've had you've had so many discussions about the Seattle Arena issue. It's finally been resolved, I guess, with Climate Pledge Arena, but we, it doesn't look like Soto is going to happen. Where, where do you come out in this whole Climate Pledge Arena? You know, it's funny. I took a tour of the arena a couple weeks before it opened, and I actually got emotional. I am not an emotional person. I don't cry hardly at all. Um, and I got teared up go walking into what was the key arena and so many great moments and, and parts of my life and my career and with my family and with my coworkers and the struggle that it's been to get that arena built and how just completely and totally heartbroken I was when we lost the Sonics. Ah, sorry, my phone just dropped. No, you're fine. Um, you're fine. You're fine. But just complete just they meant so much to this community and to so many people like sports does and so that was just heartbreaking and so when i walked into the arena and saw how beautiful it was and you can still feel the essence of key arena in there and i i just was amazed i was amazed and then when you walk through and i'm a huge i love the kraken i've been to a couple of games already uh, we follow them we, we watch them at home it's a blast the arena is remarkable um and so I just can't wait. When we walked down the first time and we saw NBA locker rooms, I mean, you're, it's like my stomach jumped. I was like, oh, gosh, we may get them back. We may get them back. So, you know, I'm just – I'm really hopeful. It's been hard. I, I, the day that we heard that the Sacramento Kings were going to be coming to Seattle, I took my kids out of elementary school at the time. And we're like, guys, we got a team back. And we went and got ice cream. And then that never materialized. And, and then the whole Chris Hansen thing, who I believe pushed this – to where it is now to get a team. I, I I wish in some way that Chris Hansen would get credit and would be involved because I think he truly has the the passion for Seattle basketball. Um, and I think he pushed through to make Seattle go through with the plans to build this arena at Climate Pledge. But, um, you know, I'm just really hopeful. I think it's amazing that we have hockey now in the winter months that are so long and dreary. And I'm hoping that sometime in the near future that we got NBA basketball as well. Great points, Elise. This is Paul Schneiderman of the Sports Untold Podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with Elise Woodward. And I want to um, welcome my viewers and feel free, if anyone has any questions for Elise, please pine in here. It'd be fun to get some questions to the audience, hopefully, today. You know, Elise, you brought up a great point. And I think one thing Chris Hansen did, even if he's ultimately not successful in getting the Soto Arena done, he changed the paradigm of the debate to whether we should have an arena to where the arena should be. So I think yes. Chris Hansen really should get credit for how he changed the, the discussion. I totally agree with that 100%. And he he pushed it forward where it was kind of on the back burner. And there was such negativity surrounding it. And there was so many different factors of why it was so negative to try to build a new arena. But when Chris Hansen was like, I'm going to use, you know, however many hundreds of millions of dollars of my own money. And we've got the infrastructure and we've got this in Soto and I'm buying land and I'm doing all that. It, it, I, it shocked, I think, and it put some pressure on the city of Seattle to either match it or he was going to build his own arena, like it or not. And there was no good reason not to have a world-class arena in Seattle when we are a world-class city. And so I give Chris Hansen a ton of credit for, uh, yeah, not ultimately being the owner of the team or owner of the building, but he certainly is a part of the reason why that building was built. I kind of pledge. And I tell people, Lee, tell me if you agree with this. I tell people who are still angry about the soda arena, probably not getting done is let's not let uh, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like one of those things. I think Soto would have been a remarkable place I do too. And it w with just the, the traffic and the, all of the different issues. Am I going to pout about that, that it's at 
arena and we have a beautiful climate pledge arena now no why would i do that in fact i was scared to death on opening night i went to the kraken opening night it was my kid's 18th birthday it's what he asked for that's all he asked for was tickets to the kraken game and i'm like buddy like that's that's a lot these tickets are crazy but i wanted to go too so i was like all right let's go we parked like two blocks from the arena an hour early we grabbed something to eat and it was fine it it was not anything like what i anticipated I think traffic, you know, since COVID has said has been a lot better, but it was fine. My worst nightmares were relieved of getting stuck in there for hours after the game or before the game and neither one materialized. So, um, you know, you, yeah, nothing in life is perfect. The fact that we have an arena built in Seattle when the politicians were just a heavy no across the board, no. Like, not only did they not want it, public funds spent on it, they didn't even want Chris Hansen to build it with his own money. Like, they were like, no. To have it turn and somehow work out is remarkable in my opinion and it, it it sometimes it didn't seem like it would ever happen and it did so i'm you know i'm thrilled about it and uh they i tell you the guys running the kraken and like wiki and his whole crew they are so brilliant and if they're behind a project it will work and and i think it's worked brilliantly so far I'm, I'm with you i think it's very i think the crack has been very excited i've gone to a few games myself and i appreciate all your your insights Okay, Lisa, I want to hear, learn more about your life story. So you grew up, I believe, in Eugene, Oregon. And why don't you share with me and the listeners how a girl growing up in the 80s and 90s, how you got the sports bug. But tell us how you became so interested in some traditional male-dominated sports. Just tell us about your journey as an athlete into sports. So. Yeah, you know, I have an older brother, he's six years older, and I grew up in Eugene, and so, and my dad is a huge sports fan, and, you know, some of my earliest memories are going to watch my brother play football when I was in preschool, and I was into it, like, the other kids were playing in the sandbox, and I'm, I was watching it, and not only was I watching it, my brother was a lineman, so he was a defensive and an offensive lineman, and so, I'm like, what is he doing? Like, because nobody, do, do people really know what the offensive and defensive linemen are if you're just a casual fan? Like, they're just pushing guys around, right? But I was, you know, told the intricacies and watched the O-line. And so I was trained on watching Big 75 and seeing what he was doing and is he pulling or rapping or, you know, all these things, which I just loved the game of football from the start. And he went and he played at the University of Oregon and – so I grew up as a kid, you know, those times Oregon was terrible. Like we'd go in and we'd sit moments before and they'd have the pom-poms sit out in Austin Stadium and <laughs> there'd be like yellow pom-poms everywhere because there'd be like 10,000 fans in the 40,000, 50,000 seat stadium. So, you know, I grew up and I went to games at the old Mac court where it was like built up. And so you could sit in the third level and literally look down at center court. Like it, it was incredible. Like the, so I, I grew up a real big Pac-12 fan um, with all sports. I went to track and field and saw like Derek LaBelle who played for the Niners and saw him doing the triple jump back in the day. So, you know, I just, I love sports. I, I, my first love of the NBA came in the eighties with the Lakers Celtics matchup. And I was a huge Laker fan because I hated the Celtics. And I don't know why, because Danny Ainge was from my high school. Like, he, he was a North Eugene Highlander. He's a three-sport All-State guy, and I respected and admired him. I actually, you know, helped one of my senior projects was building a trophy, trophy case for Danny Ainge at my high school because Sweet. I'm like, we got to know what this guy's done. Like, he's incredible. He was, and he was a big role model in that I played three sports in high school and, um, you know, wanted to do that. I felt that it was really important to be well-rounded. And, you know, so that's, 
kind of how I got into it. My dad would every morning, the Eugene register guard, he would open up the sports page. He's an accountant. And so he'd get up before I would, and he would lay out the paper from when I was about third grade and he would lay out the sports section where I would eat breakfast. So I'd read it every day. And then, you know, it was just funny. And then it was pretty cool when I was in high school and I, I was in the paper and then he'd, you know, put a little smiley face or whatever at the breakfast table with my picture or whatever, the gift of the paper, which I always thought was really cool. And I'd, I have those saved somewhere, but uh, yeah, I just, I just, I've always been enthralled with competition and, you know, just who's going to have the, the will at the end of the game to win. And, um, you know, I just, I've loved it. I've loved it. And I love sport and I've, you know, the traditional basketball, baseball, football, and, um, you know, and I grew, I, I played soccer and softball when I was in high school as well. So um, yeah, it's just, I love it. Always, always wanted to, I always wanted to be a coach, actually. I never really thought about going into broadcasting until I got to UW and you can't major in coaching. So I majored in broadcasting and here we are. Here you are years later. Well, it's fun to hear more about your, your journey. And I, I've listened to you a lot over the years, but I think it's fun for the listeners just to, to learn a little bit more. And that's one thing I enjoy about the show is to kind of probe and learn more about some of my guests, uh, some things that maybe people don't know about them. Okay, Lee, so you chose, you got to play basketball at University of Washington. And... Tell us about, as a Eugene, Oregon um, person, picking the University of Washington to play basketball. And, also, and then I want you to share a couple fun memories you have from University of Washington women's basketball career. Yeah, you know, I was recruited by Oregon, and I love their assistant coach. She's actually with Louisville now. She's the top 20-ranked team, and, and she was really good. At Oregon State recruited me. Um, I just, I, I, at the time, Washington was the standard in the Northwest, and I just would, I, I, again, I was a huge football fan on my recruiting trip. I got to meet Don James. I was like, are you serious right now? Like, this, what? I mean, here's this little girl from Eugene getting to meet Don James after they won the national championship. Um, I graduated high school in 93, and obviously they won the championship in 91, so I must have been visiting fall of 92. Yeah, in 92. So it would have been right fresh where Don James, I mean, he's still a legend, but I was like, whoa. And the basketball team was phenomenal. They were top 10 when I was getting recruited. I, I you know, I, I was a good player. I was no All-American. I was just feisty and competitive. And I, I was always a really good team player. And so when they called me and said that, you know, started recruiting me, I was like, seriously, like you dub wants me? No way. Um, and so, you know, when I got offered, I was like, this is, this is it. And then I came on my recruiting trip on a Halloween weekend and, uh, watched, uh, Washington, uh, the football team just drill Stanford, which was fun. And I love my teammates at UW and I just, you know, they were really good. It's a phenomenal school. Um, and I just, I, I fell in love with it and I moved up here fall of, uh, 93 and I've never lived anywhere else. So I just, I've loved Seattle and, um, and that's, that's kind of why I was here. Like some of my best memories from UW were, you know, I just love my teammates. I'm still in touch with them. Um, you know, one of my teammates, it's been really fun watching her son's journey, Paulo Bancaro, Rhonda Smith, his good pal of mine. I want to get back to Cameron. It's just so hard, but you know, he's playing for Duke now and, um, he's a stud and I've known this since the guy was little, like he, when he came over to my house the first time, he's like two and he threw a ball off my back deck and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Rhonda, your kid has tennis balls for calves. And he's like two years old. I was like, can I buy stock in this kid? Like seriously. And you know, she laughs, she's great, but, um, you know, we, we still keep in touch and, 
you know, being a part of, you know, Rhonda was phenomenal to play with and Tara Davis, who was a great athlete, Shannon Kelly, who's still with the UW athletic department. Um, you know, there's just a lot of really driven competitive people and, um, we pushed each other, but we supported each other. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was great. Um, you know, I, it was really hard though. I always tell the kids that when I go talk to, you know, the kids at UW now or in other groups, I'm like, there's nothing harder that you'll do. Everything seems easy. Once you get done being a D1 athlete, um, your time management is ridiculous from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. I used to have to set my alarm at, you know, I remember setting my alarm at 425 a.m. because we had workouts. We had to be there by 5 a.m. I mean, that's not normal. And then you're going to school all day and then you got practice in the afternoon. And, um, you know, there's parts of it I miss, but not all. <laughs> that's for sure. I, I, I like, you know, getting done with work and being done and being able to chill at night and not have homework. So. You know, there, there's, it's definitely a lot of hard work behind the scenes that a lot of people don't realize that it's not just game day where the guys and gals have fun out there on game day. Absolutely. It's a real commitment. Getting up at 425 in the morning, that'd be tough for yours truly. Nope. But, um, you know, at least you may be selling your basketball career a little short because I know at the U Village Ram, there is an Elise jersey there. So. <laughs> you know what's sad? I love the Ram. We actually went there on my recruiting trip and then, I loved the Ram and the U district Ram shut down. And so they called me and they were like, Elise, do you want your Jersey? And I'm like, I'm like, I would definitely love my Jersey. And my husband has this like man cave sports room downstairs. We've got five TVs so we can watch five games at once. We've got a bunch of memorabilia. So it's, it's down there now, but yeah, I mean, I always said, Paul, that I wasn't good enough to have my Jersey retired at UW, but I was good enough to have it retired at the bar at the Ram. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let me ask you something. Did, did the Uville tram close? I didn't know that. Yeah, so, it okay. did. Okay. Yeah, okay. it did. It did during that's, COVID. That's it, news to me. During, I, I've been to Uville yeah. a few times. I think I missed the Ram close. Well, I'm glad you got that jersey yeah. back. At least, you know, yeah. I want to pick your brain on something. There was, and I have had a couple of guests on who've talked about this. During the Trump years in particular, there were some concerns that Title IX was under assault. What's your take on the future of Title IX? You know, it is something that is obviously a huge concern for those that just want fairness and equality. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wouldn't have been for Title IX. I, it wasn't looked upon as strange in the 80s and the 90s when I was growing up for girls to play sports. And it was much more encouraged than it was in the 70s. And, you know, we have people that played at UW in our alumni game that come back and they're like, we didn't get a chance to play in Alaska Airlines Arena. We were in the addition. We didn't. We we drove a van if we were lucky to road games. We get all these stories that you shake your head at. You're like, wow, that used to be. And I know that there was a push during the NCAA tournament on the women's side that it's still not equitable. And so there's always more room to be done. But I certainly, I, 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 I just, it is so important not to go backwards in this because it's all about just funding given from the state it has to be equal for the boys teams and the girls teams and that is not controversial never it, that is not something that should ever be taken away that girls and boys equally it's good for society i mean it's good i've always i just was talking the other day about leaders in our community and you know the ol rain coming back to play at lumen field and you look at so many wonderful women leaders, our politicians, our elected officials, our CEOs of companies, 
so many of them have backgrounds in athletics because you learn how to compete. You learn when you fail, which everybody fails when you play sports, without a doubt, you have to learn how to wash it, how to get up and shake your opponent's hand and say a good game as much as you hate it. You learn how to get back up and, you know, compete again, you know, go check the ball as, um, you know, you got to get back up. Um, and so, you know, it's just title nine is so extremely important and it's, it's just to me, um, it's been a difference maker and a change in my life personally. And so it is a very personal thing for me, but I think it, it's overwhelmingly been good for society to have girls out there competing, um, you know, and little girls being healthy, just getting out and being active and not sedentary. It's, it's very important. Appreciate your feedback. And you, you're, you're an example of someone who really um, was propelled by this legislation that got through in 1970. So you're kind of a real life example of how, legislation can really affect people's lives so i a hundred percent and i am so thankful and grateful for those that had the foresight to understand that girls deserved an equal opportunity to play sports and i mean it, it shouldn't be crazy that that's the case but um you know i'm just really thankful that i was given the chance to go out and play and i never thought anything of it um you know just i had the chance i didn't have to work for it and so i i do know though that I, you know we certainly have more work to do i had you dub tennis legend patricia boster on my show a couple of years ago we hit a lot of these issues trish is a real pioneer in in mm -hmm. improving the women's tennis program at the university of washington the 70s so we, we hit on some of these issues with trish it's here to it's it's good to hear your insights from a somewhat different generation on these mm -hmm. on these issues as well lise okay so you as i mentioned introduction you um for many years had a really good a daily sports show in a top 15 media market. You were the few women hosts in a top 15 media market uh, around doing that. Um, would you ever go back to a daily sports show again? Is that something you'd ever consider doing again? You know, it's funny. I have done so many different roles in sports media. I feel like I've done them all and, you know, just keep checking off boxes. There's so many great parts about doing sports radio. My favorite parts most definitely were that you had three hours every day to just talk to the fans and, and talk about what you wanted to and you were given a platform. And I loved doing interviews. I loved having the chance to have guests on, like, you know, the chance, I mean, again, I'm like, are you serious? I have a weekly Mike Holmgren show. What is this? The, the chance to, in sports radio, you really had to know everything about everyone, both locally and nationally. So, you know, you everything Seahawks, everything Mariners, everything, Sonics at the time, Storm, UW, it's, it's amazing, but it also was a little overwhelming where you could never know enough about it. And I'm one that I kind of obsess about preparation. And um, that was really overwhelming at times to be like, I can't like, you know, I look at Softy and I'm like, I don't know how the hell this guy does it. Like, does he not do anything except for watch sports? And then I remember, no, he's obsessed with Star Trek too. So who knows, but he's or Star character. Wars or whatever the hell he is. Um, and I love him and I admire his preparation. I really do. Um, and just how you know, it's a, there's some wonderful parts about it. The part that I did not enjoy was when, if somebody was struggling, it was like, you had to put your foot on their throat. That's what sports talk radio does a lot. It's not my personality. I, it's just not what I do. Like I've been there. I've suffered really horrible defeats. I've been, you know, like my soccer coach, he used to be like, you know what, if you don't want the responsibility of being the GOAT, and that meant at the, at the time in the 90s, you know, that was when you were the, you know, the loser, you know, he's like, if you don't want the responsibility of being the GOAT, then don't ever think that you get the right 
to be the hero and you have to be willing to do both. And that was, that struck me. And there's a lot of people that call in that have never felt that horrific feeling of you let your team down or you lost the game or, and so I was always aware of that. And as coaches, you know, all the time, as soon as there's a loss, people want to, you know, fire the coach. You know, people are talking about firing Pete Carroll right now. And I, it just like, okay. But it's like, it started way back. It's just, it's been going on since he got hired, right? It's just, that's what fans do. And that part always to me is just annoying. It's just annoying when people are so quick trigger. And that's the part about the job that I really didn't, I, I didn't really enjoy that part of the job, so. And people um, can be so prone to negativity, too, you know, and I and you probably weren't yep. dealing with people calling in, wanting to be all positive, or so-and-so did a great job. It's more about a lot of sports fans are sort of prone to no. a lot of people. To I mean, and, and I mean, we know that, right? We know that, just like in real news, if it bleeds, it leads. And in sports talk radio, if somebody's getting fired, people are listening. If there's drama, people want to hear about it. If, if you're talking all like roses and lollipops, people, it's not compelling to a lot of people. So that's the part of it that, um, you know, can be hard. That's why I enjoyed the interviews of really know the athletes and coaches, learning their story, um, learning the schematically, like X's and O's, like why did you do that and when and, and what did you do? I just, I love that. I love it. And so like doing the play-by-play -play stuff that I do now in a live broadcast, there's nothing, it, there's a game. There's a, a really, you know, between a two and a four hour window, there's always something compelling about a matchup, always. There's something always on the line. You're not making something up. You're not trying to devise a topic. You got a game, and your job is to describe the action and why something is happening. What yeah, you know, and so that part of it, you're never calling for somebody to be fired in the middle of a, of right. a broadcast. So that part is, um, at least from my perspective of what I really enjoy about sport, it, it's more in line with what I really enjoy. Appreciate feedback. Well, on excuse the quip on sports untold, we talk about all sorts of stuff. So I was just kind of curious to get your kind of hear yeah. about your, your experience as a, as a talk radio host. Luis, we're going to talk about your know, UW and your play-by-play, -play, the play-by-play -play games you did and a lot of your duties UW in a couple minutes. But I want to bring something up to you. So there was a great documentary that came out that took place at my high school, my alma, Roosevelt High School in Seattle, the heart of the game. And yeah. you had a role in that movie. You were, I believe, one of the broadcasters in that famous women's basketball high school championship game. And it, it literally a Hollywood movie, a great movie. And I, I want you to share a little bit about your thoughts in the heart of the game. And I want to also, Lise, get your take on why this terrific sports documentary is not like a household movie name. I mean, it's an incredible sports movie. So I, I kind of want to pick your brain the whole heart of the game experience you had. Yeah, you know that is funny. That's a long time ago. It's random. Remember, from they they asked me originally to do the voice of it, and so I just made a cameo in it where we broadcast the high school game. We broadcast the state championship game, and you know I just was the broadcaster for that game. I think it was Rich Waltz and I that uh, did that game, and I remember hearing, "Okay, would you like to voice this? We're in, you know going to you know edit and do all these things." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I was kind of busy at the time. And then I never heard back. And I didn't, I just, I didn't think about it. And when they got ludicrous to do it, I was like, yeah, I think they got a little higher profile person to voice the heart of the game when they got ludicrous to do it. So um, anyway, um, it's, an, it's a phenomenal movie. And you knew at the time, I knew at the time 
these are the kind of stories that it's just so much bigger than sport. And for those that aren't familiar, it's about a young girl that got pregnant and had a baby and then they weren't going to allow her to play basketball at Roosevelt. And then she, they, she eventually played and then, you know, they went to the state championship game and um, it, it was a wonderful story. And they had good characters like the coach Bill was a character. Um, and it, at the time, I remember thinking, this is just a phenomenal story about this girl who had some major challenges young in her life, overcame them and um, had tremendous success. And I certainly was pulling for her. And uh, I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. Well, it's fun to see you in that movie. I've watched it a couple of times and I just think it's a terrific sports movie. Like you said, it goes way beyond sports. So I'll throw a plug for the Heart of the yeah. Game documentary. It probably yeah. should have been nominated for Best Documentary back in the 06 era or whenever it came I, out. I, I would agree. So very well I would done. Agree. It, and, yeah, it was kind of random. I remember one day I was getting on an airplane going somewhere and it was playing on the airplane. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on right now on the airplane. I was like, that's trip. But it, it was really well done, I thought, and told the story correctly. And it was... Um, you know, a stroke of luck to be there documenting this high school season. Um, it, it was it was really well done, though. I had Joyce Walker on my show a few years ago. You know, she was the Garfield coach yeah. in that real-life story. And Joyce is a absolutely fascinating lady, so I had her on. Yep. Well, this is a random question. I've been asking some recent guests this question. Speaking of the heart of the game, what is your favorite sports movie? Oh, what is my favorite sports movie? I mean... It's hard not to go with Hoosiers, being a basketball fan, and just the purity and the, the story and you know all of that. I mean, I watched that when I was younger, and you still think about that, you know, making the winning shot at the end of the game and, you know, all of that. So off the top of my head, that's probably it. Hoosiers. Great, great choice. I like The Natural a lot. I liked uh, Hoop yeah. Dreams, but, but uh, Hoosiers Hoop Dreams was, a was great good. One. Yeah. Hoop, Hoop Dreams was good, but it also was a little sad. You know, it just, I, I remember watching that. The, it was right around, I think, when I was a senior in high school that that came out. I was young, I remember. Um, and thinking that, okay, when they started the story about so many people, you know, it is. It's the dream, right? And it's so hard to make it. And you're not a failure if you have the dream of being the very best and you fall short. But it kind of was portrayed like that, which is sad. Lisa, so, I can see you yeah. kind of chuckling. Oh my gosh, Paul brought up the heart of the game. That was like a whole different era, but I, I yeah, it was a cool movie that you had a role in. This is Paul Schneider, the host of Sports on the Sports Untold podcast, 109th edition, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with UW um, commentator Elise Woodward. Um, Elise, I just want you to share your experience um, broadcasting a being the play-by-play person for a couple. Uh, Husky football games and I listened to you for a few minutes uh, I left one of the games early and I, I was listening to you but you got great uh, great reviews and just tell us about that opportunity yeah I mean I I really am thankful to Tony Castricone for giving me the opportunity his wife uh, you know was going to deliver right in the middle of the season and as somebody that was on the sideline uh, both my kids were born in October I remember being like well we'll see how long I can work and all of that so but for him to me to fill in for him I was completely honored and um, you know I said absolutely and then I was like well I've never done radio play-by-play which is a completely different medium than TV play-by-play 
and I've never done football play by play. So um, I got a lot of work to do. Um, and I mean, it was a blast. Uh, it, it, the adrenaline that I got was something that, you know, I haven't had since, you know, early in my career, because you get that adrenaline when you've not done something, you know, you, it's like anything that you haven't mastered something yet. And so you, you know, you don't really know the outcome. And, you know, as a player, you don't know the outcome of the game. And so you're, you know, you got the, the adrenaline and the nerves, but um, it was exhilarating. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, I felt like game one, I was just kind of getting my bearings. I got to do three. Game one, I was fine. I survived. It, it's like a, you know, a freshman getting thrown out into the game. Like I right, didn't have any major right. turnovers. I didn't lose the game. I managed the game. It was fine. It wasn't great. I didn't have any, you know, uh, you know, deep three pointers or, you know, I didn't throw any dunks down, but it was fine. I felt like, you know, game two, I was better. And then game three, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I continue to get better, which is what I really wanted to do. And I just had a blast. It, it is true. This is true. You're always a better broadcaster. If you're on a hometown broadcast, if the team wins, it's just the way it is. Like everybody loves you way more if the team wins. So I was really hoping that they were going to get a win in there. And I'm like, gosh, guys, come on. But that didn't happen. So, you know, I was teasing Tony Castro and I'm like, you know, maybe you're just going to have to let me call the game against Kent State to start next season under the first, you know, your head coach, Kent Board. Just, just get out of the way. Let me do one, okay, so that I can retire and, you know, have that game with a win because, um, you know, that would be good to at least get one win under my belt. But uh that was a blast from being around Husky football so long. It was an absolute honor to get to do it. I loved it. Well, you got great feedback on, on your play by play radio that you did. Okay. Lisa, I got a question for you. And this is like the kind of question when, when a, when a, when a interviewer asks a player, if he or she's going to, whatever consider playing for a different team. It's a hypothetical question. What would you do if a, if another major Division One program or a pro sports team approached you to be a, to be a full time uh, radio play by play person? Oh, I would definitely consider it. I mean, most definitely. Um, you know, I've been really, really lucky in my career. My kids are really important to me. I've got two boys, and you know, the sports talk radio gig was so perfect for me at the time. I got to be with my kids all day. And when they were younger and I didn't have to take them to daycare or anything, when my husband got home from work, I left to go do the night show from seven to 10. And I, that was, you know, when they were in school, luckily I moved to middays. And so it, it was so perfect where I, I, that worked. Well, my kids are older now, you know, I got one kid going to college and I got one that's uh, a sophomore. So, you know, from that aspect, they're both driving. They don't need mom much anymore, which is the whole point, right? That you raise them to be independent. And so, you know, I don't. I don't know what the future is going to bring. I, I. I would never close my um, any doors to any opportunity out there. That's for sure. But I. I do love. I, I've said this, and it's like I kind of want to keep it a secret. But I love doing so many things at the UW. I just. I love it. And like I. I literally. This is. This is the truth. When the guys come out of the tunnel, on every Saturday, and they're running out of the tunnel. I literally say a prayer and just be like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Like I'm down on the sideline of UW football and they're running out of the tunnel and I, I get fired up and I just, that is just something that I look forward to all year long. I haven't missed a Husky game in, you know, 20 something years. Like I just, I'd love it. And, but I, I, you know, so it's just a thrill and I'm, 
I'm, I'm thrilled doing it. If another opportunity came along to do something else somewhere else, I would, of course I would consider it. I, you know, like I said, I've done just about any role anywhere. So, you know, but it would have to be a pretty damn special opportunity. I know that. Well, I was just curious because I, I wouldn't be shocked if down the road, if, if uh, maybe you've got a couple feelers uh, out there. You know, at least um, I was going online with the Caleb DeBoer hire. I, I always mispronounce his last name. I'm having trouble pronouncing our new coach's last name. So if I bungled it, let me know. But uh, and I, I go, Elders or Kasner was kidding me when I had him on a few weeks ago. He goes, Paul, these pundits you're quoting. Who are these pundits? But anyhow, I did find a few pundits. And the, a lot of them are just probably regular fans who gave the Huskies a B or B plus grade hiring Caleb. Is that a fair grade for this Husky hire, B or B plus? You know, what's funny is that it, it's all just stupid. You, <laughs> who the hell knows? I asked you a stupid like, question, I, right, right. No, I mean, it's just stupid to try to grade people. It's like grading recruiting classes. I say this all the like people would make fun of Chris Peterson because he's like, who knows? Check back in five years. And I couldn't agree more. Like, check back in five years and you'll have your answer with Caleb DeVore. Because you know who I thought was a total mistake when he was hired? I remember being like, my gosh, Pete Carroll. I'm like, he's escaping USC. They're going on sanctions. He's going to get out before it gets ugly. This is just, this is not going to work. And then I remember at the press conference of the Seahawks when they hired Pete Carroll, I saw Lawyer Malloy, who's been a buddy of mine since he was at UW with me. And he's like, no, at least Pete's legit. Pete's going to, Pete's the man. He's going to do this because he knew him from, you know, his days, uh, well, I think in New England. And I was like, all right, lawyer, uh, if you say so, I'm going to believe you because you're the man. And then I'm like, yep, I was 100% wrong. And I mean, who knows? It, people, I mean, you look down south in Oregon and Dana Altman. They wanted Mark Few. They want, I mean, there, there's all these different candidates they wanted. Nobody thought Dana Altman was going to do anything. And he's had the ducks rolling for quite some time now. You know, Lorenzo, Lorenzo Romar. Nobody wanted Lorenzo Romar. He was the fourth cho choice of Barbara Hedges. He's the best coach in Husky history. And I know people want to say, well, he's, you know, he got fired. The Husky program was nowhere when Lorenzo Romar took over. And he got th this team. He developed so many pros. He made basketball in Seattle the place for so many local Seattle guys to go to have success and to go into the NBA. So, I mean, all of those were like at the time said, oh, bad hire. It's never going to work. Who knows? All I know is that I was very intrigued by Kalen DeBoer's press conference. I thought he nailed it. And I did too. You know, going in and, and listening to all these coaches in all different sports, I had a really good feeling about his ability to coach. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that you, if there are, I'm, I believe this, and I believe this since I was younger. There are really, really good high school coaches that I'm convinced could be really, really good college or pro coaches. The only difference with collegiate coaching is you better be able to recruit or you better hire people that can recruit, right? That's the big difference. In the pros, you don't have to recruit. You have to have somebody that can draft. Um, and so, but if you can coach, if you can devise game plans, if you can scheme, if you know how to make adjustments, if you know how to do that at any level, that will translate. And that's pretty clear with Kalen DeBoer, that he is really good in that area. I and mean, he has had success wherever he has been, whatever level. So, um, and I just thought he was very, I just thought he had a really good vibe. I liked what he had to say. I didn't feel like he was fake whatsoever. He felt really authentic. So, you know, that was good. I, for one, I was really surprised. You know, I'll go back. I, I'm really surprised Jimmy Lake didn't work. 
And so I thought that was a very good hire. Uh, he had been groomed by Chris Peterson. He had developed defenses. He had a good rapport with the kids. I thought he was going to be able to nail recruiting. And it, it just didn't happen. It was, and so, again, I, you know, I always say if I knew I'd go to Vegas and be retired by now, right, <laughs> but go. I don't. There you go. Well, one thing I liked about Caleb during that press conference, Elise, give me your feedback on this, is there is a humility to the guy I liked. He admits he doesn't yeah. have all the answers. And we don't always find that as much these days with people. They're, they're, yeah. I, I kind of liked his mid, kind of Midwestern folksiness, I guess. So I, I, I found I, that appealing. I agree. He seems like a very likable guy. I like the fact that he talked directly to the players on the team and, and was like, that's who's going to win games and giving you know the credit to the players. And, you know, the other thing that I really liked what I heard, and it does go along with that humility, is that when you're the head coach of a team, it's not all about you. You get a lot of the credit from the fans and the media, and you get a lot of the blame from the fans and the media. But we all know that your assistant coaches, the job of a head football coach is enormous. To me, it is bigger than any job in sport. Because like I just mentioned, when you're in the NFL, your job is to coach and that's it, period. We're not recruiting. You are not in charge of a program. Your budget is not responsible for the entire university athletic department. There's so much pressure. You can never relax as a college football coach. That's why uh, Chris Peterson got out of it. The work-life balance part. You, you have a two-week vacation. Guess what you're doing? You get a kid that, you know, needs your help. You got to make, you got to take that call. You have a recruit that's the number one guy in the West Coast that wants to get, you're going to return that call. There's never a down moment whatsoever. But Kalen DeBoer mentioned, I will let my coaches coach. I will give them the ability to do what they do best. That is such a key. And it is in any walk of life, right? It's in any business. If you have a, a your boss that tries to do everything for everybody, it doesn't work that way. You have to encourage the people beneath you to do their job, to do it well, and to collaborate. And it seems like that was very important to him. So I really liked when he was talking about that too. Lisa, can I get you about 10 more minutes or so? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, great, yep, yep. great, great. Uh, don't get mad if it's 15, but I'll, I'll, I love, uh, I got a few yeah. more questions for you. You know, I want to no ask you about Jimmy Lake, Elise. And I, I heard Hugh Millen say on KGR, and I don't want to turn this into a National Enquirer show, that Jimmy Lake could be a bit tyrannical towards the players. Do you have any insights on how Jimmy treated the players? You're, you're so close to the, the program. Do you have anything to share on that? Well, I, I kind of felt like with Jimmy that he was really young, um, and I felt like he wanted to be a player's coach. But I do think that, like, in the Oregon game, that was a player could go and do that, right? You got pads on, you can go be like, come on, man, get off. And you can push somebody back and to do that. But you can't do that as a coach. And what's ironic about that is that he's not wearing pads and he's not, you know, 20 years old. You just can't do that. And so, you know, that part about, I, I felt like as a head coach, you have to be much more regal and you have to be much more composed. I felt like at times I was, I was kind of surprised in that he wasn't as composed. You want, I mean, and certainly there's all different kinds of personalities that have had success coaching. Like Bob Huggins goes crazy and he's been great uh, you know, now at West Virginia. And, you know, Bobby Knight, I was fascinated by Bobby Knight back in the day. He had tremendous success. I don't think it worked now in this day and right. age, but he had success. Was um, Jimmy Lake Bobby Knight? No, I don't, I don't think he was Bobby Knight at all. But again, I think 
that uh, I just think that maybe there was a disconnect between being the head coach and being regal and um, being composed. And I think that it ended up really hurting him. Well, wish Jimmy Lake the best. It was, I just wanted to kind of get your insights I do. on that. So. I do. You know, it's like, I really like Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy was always great to me and was really generous with his time. I think the guy, you know, has a, a brilliant mind for the defensive side of the football. And it's just, you just never know when you move from a role where arguably he was the best defensive coach in the Pac-12 for the five years previous. I mean, the, the UW led the Pac-12 in scoring defense for how many years in a row? And Jimmy Lake was a huge reason why. You see Buda Baker and Sidney Jones and Kevin King. And, uh, and the list goes on and on with the guys that he developed and what he did with the defense. He was phenomenal. And he was this young guy that was you know, trained by Chris Peterson. How it didn't work, it's just really, really too bad because he's a really nice man. He's got a really good family. He was a dedicated and loyal husky. And, and so it's just, I hate that. I hate that it didn't work for him and his family. And it's hard, man. It's just, it's really hard to, to have that pressure and that job and to do it successfully. So, you know, that's why those guys get paid a whole lot of money because they're hard to find that are really, really at the top of their game. And let's face it, people in almost any job are going to have some growing pains in a new job. And yep. there's a case to be made. Maybe Jimmy Lake should have had more than 13 games to coach the UW, but that's the decision was made. It is what it is. But, but um, yeah, anyhow. I mean, I think Jimmy will surface. I still think, yeah, um, you know, look at Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian was handed the keys to the UW program when he was 35 years old. And he wasn't ready. I mean, it, he was ready from a football standpoint, but it didn't work. But he's come through so much and I root for Steve Sarkeesian. I do. I like Steve Sarkeesian. I think he's a brilliant football mind. And now he's at Texas. They had a hard year this year, but they just signed a, you know, really good recruiting class. And like, you know, it's not everybody can win every time. That's the thing. It's about sport. There will always be winners and there will always be losers. Right. So, and it will change year to year sometimes. So, you know, uh, the growing pains for, for Jimmy Lake, yeah, it was. It's a rough go, man. You get fired after just two seasons. It's that's and during you know after a COVID year too. It's hard, but you know college football, the pressure is on now. There is no three, four year plan like there used to be. I know that big time. You know, Steve Sarkeesian. I got a thought for you, Elise. Um, I he didn't leave the program in horrible shape when Chris Peterson took no. over. So I I don't think he did a terrible job. But, no, no, yeah. and absolutely not. I think the opposite. Tyrone Willingham left the program in a horrific spot. Tyrone Willingham didn't recruit at the level that he needed to recruit at. It was a mistake to keep him on after he was fired in the midseason of that final year. There were a lot of mistakes made. When Steve Sarkeesian took this program over, it was 0-12. I remember him saying the kids were embarrassed to wear their football gear to class. And wow. I was like, wow, that is, it, it is it just, it, it just breaks your heart for the, you know, the young men that had, you know, were at UW. There was some really talented guys on that team. They just had so many bad breaks, but um, you know, they had a terrible season. It was 0-12. Jake Locker got hurt, all these different things. But, when Steve Sarkeesian took over, he had to do so much heavy lifting. They were in a hole so deep. And Steve Sarkeesian got them back. 
and he did some major heavy lifting. And if anybody can't give him credit where credit is due, they're mistaken. He did a really good job with the program. They, I believe that Washington was lucky that USC came calling when they did because it, it's a different a task to take a team out of a hole than it is to take them from middling to championship level. It's a different task. And could he do it? But we'll see. He's at Texas. We'll see if he can do that then. We don't know. Um, but we do know that Chris Peterson was the right guy at the right time. And this team went to the Beach Bowl, went to the Rose Bowl, went to the Fiesta Bowl, um, won multiple Pac-12 championships, and that that was the right, the right time for that job. And so did Steve Sarkeesian, was he uh, – if anybody says he didn't do a good job, they're they're – completely mistaken and misguided they need to go see what he took over when he was hired at UW. at least one thought i want to share with you about that owen 12 2008 wellingham team i believe there are like 12 or 13 players in that team that played in the nfl or got at least a cup yeah. of coffee at nfl camp isn't it crazy that an yeah. owen 12 team had that many players that that got in the nfl yeah yeah i mean if if you look back at that season closely Four games that were really competitive. They played a brutal schedule. Their non-con schedule. I, the, one of the worst moments I think that I remember in Husky football was what would have been a phenomenal win against BYU, and it was at home. And Jake Locker scores the you know the touchdown to you think to tie the game. And he Jake Locker, who is completely non-demonstrative, he's he's never going to show up as opponent. He was so fired up that he flipped the ball up in the end zone. And the official called a 15-yard penalty, and they tacked it on in the PAT. Of course, you don't miss the PAT. They lose the game against BYU. That was in the 0-12 season. Like, they're that competitive against a really good BYU team. And then it just – the game that was the killer was the the Apple Cup that year. And by that point – and I kind of felt the same this year about UW, honestly, that they had started with much higher expectations. And by the end of the year when they'd had so much failure – they just, it was, it was, it became painful for them to know that they were never going to live up to the expectations. And so instead of steadying, they, it just, it just kept getting harder and harder and harder. There's no way that you should have lost that Apple Cup in Pullman that year in 2008. I was there. I remember it was brutal. And was that your picture that you game, submitted? Was that the great picture? We, we, no, God, Not no, that I don't want to remember that. Okay, no, that okay. the, the picture, the picture I submitted was from a couple of years ago when Miles Gaskin went absolutely bonkers in the snow. That's a fun. That one. was the cool. That was one of the coolest games one. to be a part of. Even and I think the, for you know Washington State fans too, that was just an electric environment. The snow coming down, and I know Husky fans are a lot happier because they won the game. And um, Miles Gaskin just phenomenal i mean one of the best performances i can remember in husky history and it was in that snow and sliding into the end zone please i'm gonna switch gears of these two questions so these are two questions i've been asking pretty much every guest of my show since about late 2019 who's a living sports figure could be a coach a manager a player an agent you'd love to have a conversation with and who is a deceased sports person in history you would have loved to have chatted with um, well, there's no question that, you know, and I have had a chance to talk to him, but I would love to really, God, there's so many, but my hero growing up was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I loved him. I remember reading his book, Giant Steps, when I was in elementary school and doing a whole class project on it. 
And I remember my teacher, because you could pick anybody and do a project on him, right? And my teacher's like, who is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? And I remember just being like, oh God, really? Come on. <laughs> but I just find him to be fascinating. And he certainly is controversial, but he just, the way that he played, he was composed. He was um, phenomenal. He was unstoppable. He was so good with the social aspect off of the court and raising awareness of things. Um, I just, he loved jazz music. He was very, he just, he loved a lot of different things. He wasn't just a basketball player. Then he went into acting, you know, and I remember watching Airplane the first time and laughing like, oh my God, there's Kareem, there's Kareem. Um, But I just find him, I would probably talk to him about basketball, but much more about other things because I find him to just be so intelligent and, and there goes my phone again. Um, He, he's just so intelligent and, um, just to, he knows so many things about so many different areas. So I would, he's a, he would be a great guy to chat with. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Michael Jordan. I'd love to talk to him just about the will to win and all of that. Like I'm, I was a huge fan. Um, deceased. I would love to talk to Babe Ruth. Um, I just, I just would want to know more like now in context of a hundred years later, what it was really like for that guy to hit more home runs in a season than other teams did. Like, I mean, that's it just how was he so special? And like, he was so unconventional that, you know, he loved to party. He was out there just, he just seemed like so full of life and so funny. So, you know, I just, I would love to really, you know, go have a beer with that guy and, and, you know, just chat about his life and, and, you know, baseball and all of that. So I, I will say the one that's deceased that I would, my one of my very favorite interviews I've ever done was Buck O'Neill, who um, wow, that's a big was name. finally finally inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Who I had a chance to go back to Kansas City to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, one of the coolest things I've ever done, and sit down with Buck O'Neill. And I mean, I just that is the coolest guy, the most fun guy, the best stories, and what he went through, and um, how he handled himself. In adversity to me was fascinating where you know he was not given the right to play major league baseball because of the color of his skin and his whole demeanor he was such a lover of life and so you know that guy i would love to catch up with that guy anytime he was just he was a guy that loved hanging out with that guy and um and he was fun too i bet you he'd be fun to go have some beers with <laughs> and, that's a phenomenal uh, amazing deceased sports legend you had a chance to interview yeah o'neill that's yep. an incredible name by the way your friend and colleague answered kareem abdul jabbar that question and uh babe ruth has come up by by with a couple of guests so those are great names you gave and i agree kareem abdul jabbar would be a fascinating guy to chat with lise um who do you believe is the most impactful american woman in sports today i'm going to throw out a couple of names Serena Williams, uh, Megan Rapino, Chris Everett, Sue Bird, Billie Jean King. Here's another name I found online, Michelle Roberts, the NBA Players Association chief. Um, who do you yeah. think is the most impactful woman in sports today? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that that can go so many different ways, right? Um, and then all of them have impacted different generations. Lindsey Vaughn, and... I can throw out more names too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think for me personally, um, I mean, they're all great names. I mean, Billie G. King for me was just a groundbreaker, a groundbreaker, and that, you know, 
she was so good at what she did and her craft and tennis and raising awareness for, you know, just women playing sports. And so she's always been a huge um, role model for me and somebody that I have admired greatly. Um, it's amazing thinking that both Subert and Megan Rapinoe are on that list and they're both Seattle people now. Isn't that incredible? And I feel really lucky. I think, I think Sue Bird is going to go on. I can't wait. I want her to play one more year at Climate Pledge Arena. I do too. Um, I do too. I'm so hopeful because I, I still think she's playing at a really high level, one. But two, I want her to just go to that arena because she helped, you know, it, it, she she gets the biggest cheers out of everybody at the Kraken game. Like when she was out there, people love her. She's going to have a statue out there. Um, and she's done so much for the game. I just can't wait to see what she does next, though. Like, what is she going to do? She's a um, fascinating sport. And by the way, at least there's tons she, of... She could be an NBA head coach. She could be an NBA general manager. She could be a WNBA coach. She could be a college head coach. I mean, she could, the, you know, the world's hers, whatever she wants. I can't, I just can't wait to see. And I'm, I've been so incredibly lucky to watch her for her entire career in Seattle. I remember interviewing her the day that she came to Seattle the first time after she got drafted. And she's a real quiet kid, kind of an East Coast, quiet, sarcastic um, kid that, you know, she just, it's so awesome so awesome to have seen greatness all the time every game there's at least one play where i'm like oh no way and so i've been extremely lucky to watch her i could throw out a lot of other women's sports figures those are just a few another name if she becomes uh, an nba coach one day is becky hammond she could be yeah high on that list so we'll have yeah to see. no doubt we'll have to see yep, for sure. well at least i really had so much fun having you on i i'd love to get you back one day there's so many things i didn't get into but i, I don't want to be too greedy and taking up the all your time you've already given an hour to chatting with me but thank you so much for coming on sports untold also on oh. rainer avenue radio and just so much fun and uh um thank you for doing this elise i'm always happy to do so it's always you know talking sports it's you know it's what i love to do and uh so it was my pleasure anytime so uh, it better not be 200, what is it, 218 before I'm invited back? Is that right? No, well, yeah, well, well I, I, we had a little, I, you may have missed that that uh, message I sent you back in 2018, but no, I, I get you back anytime, hopefully in 2022, oh, really? but oh, so yeah, you may have missed the, no, well, all right, I'm not going to blame you, came I'm, on in late 2021, but uh, have a oh, great okay. holiday and Christmas season, all Thank the best to your family, people. and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Elise. Yeah, thanks, Paul, that was fun. A lot of fun, you take care, thank you.